Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. When we introduced this passage, we said that Philippians 3 is a testimony of Paul's life and really his mission or kind of how he found joy in Jesus Christ. And as we've made mention kind of throughout this series and really throughout a lot of our verse-by-verse studies is that context matters. And a lot of times we go down to verse number 14. There's many popular verses in this passage that we just read through. We go down to verse number 14 and we read a verse like, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that's a great verse. But here's the truth of it. When you look at verse number 14, what precedes it is what makes it so special. Paul says that I have given up everything. And here's what I've replaced it with. I've replaced it with all of the things that I used to do to try to make myself good. I've replaced it with seeking after God and God alone. I'm pressing toward the mark. I'm looking to become more Christ-like. And here's what I want you to see tonight. We're going to give a lot of sub-points to break down these verses. But here's what I want you to see. Here is the major takeaway of tonight's lesson and tonight's study. Is that finding joy, if it is truly found in Jesus Christ, then why would anything else matter? If finding joy is truly found in Jesus Christ, then why would would anything else matter? And here's what I think you'll see from the life of Paul tonight, is that the reason that he was able to be so joyful is because nothing else did. The reason that he was able to say, I have joy, or brethren rejoice always, or rejoice, and again I say rejoice, the reason he was able to talk about joy from a prison cell is because he literally just gave up on everything else. He literally just said, I'm done trying to find joy in my circumstances. I'm done trying to find joy in what good I do. I'm done trying to find joy in who I am. I'm done trying to find joy in my promotion or my position or anything. I am simply going to find joy in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And if that is true, which I believe that we all would, if we were pinned down, would say that it is, then why does anything else matter? So tonight, when we talk about finding joy, this is literally it. This is the series, okay? How do we find joy? First of all, let's notice that we'll find joy by recognizing how it will be attacked. So joy will be attacked from the outside. Joy will be attacked from the outside. He shows us this in verses 1 through 3. This is how it will be attacked. If our internal joy comes from Jesus Christ, and if it is worthwhile, and it is something that we know that we can find in Christ and in Christ alone, then don't you think that Satan is wise enough to attack that? He's wise enough to try that. He's wise enough to test us on that. And so one of the ways that he tests us is from the outside or from external things. He says this in verse 1. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. 
Rejoice in the Lord. So first of all, I want you to notice that joy will be attacked by fake joys. Joy will be attacked by fake joys. When he says, brethren, rejoice in the Lord, here's what he's saying. Don't rejoice in anything else. He's just gone through, uh, we closed last week with the illustration of Epaphroditus. We closed last week with the illustration of, um, of Timothy. And he gave these examples, and then now he introduces really this next thought, which, like I said, you're, when we've said this a couple of times, but your chapters and verses were added. At, Paul didn't say chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 2, okay? Those were added for us. By, uh, so that we kind of knew where everything was. And so if you almost want to see this as a paragraph break, he says, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in something else. Don't rejoice th- in whatever. Don't rejoice in how much you have in your bank account. Don't rejoice in maybe uh, how, how good of a standing you have in the community. Don't rejoice in whatever. Don't rejoice in your financial status. Don't rejoice in your relationships. Don't rejoice in those things. Rejoice in the Lord. Are there good things that come out of those? Absolutely. You get engaged, you get married, man, be excited. Rejoice. But at the end of the day, recognize that that rejoicing should be a reflection on God. It should still be about God. Well, look at this beautiful girl that I went out and found and I wooed with my charming good looks. and all. That's about you. Rather, step back and recognize that I am rejoicing in the Lord for what He has given me, the blessings He has done. When you go out, maybe, maybe you get a pay raise. Maybe you get a new job. You come in, you can, it's easy to come in and sit in class and make your praises more about you than about God, isn't it? That's human nature. Well, look at the new job that I got that got me the fat paycheck and the new car that I have out in the church parking lot. And so if it weren't for me, wouldn't have happened. No, let's still make our rejoicing about God. Don't rejoice in things that are fake. Don't rejoice in things that are earthly or things that are temporal or things that are carnal. Rejoice in the Lord. So he gives that reminder, but then he also says this, that joy will be attacked by new joys. When I read verse number one, I actually kind of struggled with what he was trying to accomplish and what he was trying to say, but here's what I think it is. When he says, to write the same things to you, to... uh, to me or to you indeed is is not grievous for me okay to write the same things to you is not grievous but for you it is safe here's what i think he's trying to say i'm not trying to introduce you to anything new and if you're not careful you will chase every new thing in your life and sometimes even in your Christian life, only to find it just as empty as the last new thing. You can download every new devotional app. You can download every new podcast. You can read every Christian person's blog. You can, you can follow Instagram accounts. You can chase everything that is new, and it will leave you just as empty as the last new thing. And here's what I want you to see, is that God desires for us to rejoice in what we already know. Are there new things that we can utilize in our walk with God? Absolutely. Are there probably good resources that we can utilize? Absolutely. But guess what? You're never going to discover something new with God. 
Yes, you might learn something that you had never learned before, but you're not going to have some, some Archimedes moment to where you can run through, the, run through the church screaming Eureka because you discovered something that no one else has ever discovered about God. And so stop making your joy simply about, well, look at this new thing that I found that, that makes me look more like a Christian. Well, look at this new thing that I did. Look at this new... No, simply focus on Christ and on Christ alone. Don't be looking for something new. And so when Paul says, it's not grievous for me to write the same things. It's safe. Guess what? You're not going to pick up this epistle, this letter that I wrote to you, and say, okay, let's really comb through it. And let's make sure that we know everything that Paul wants us to know. He says, I'm writing the same things. I'm telling you probably the same thing that I told you the last time I was there. And guess what? That's safe. That's safe. But then thirdly, joy will be attacked by destructive joys. Joy will be attacked by destructive joys. He says in verse 2, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. That word concision is the word mutilation or to cut up. What he's talking about here is, Watch out for the things that are going to try to creep in and divide you, that are going to try to cut you up, that are going to try to mutilate the joy that you have. I would like to say that there's more application to what that can be, but only you know what that is in your life. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's stress at a job. Maybe it is your financial status. And that, that robs you of your joy, that just mutilates it, that just tears it up. Well, I was good until I got the text from my bank account saying that I had negative 93 cents. Guess I got to go deposit the one dollar that I had in here, so I'm seven, seven cents in the, in the black. Can't even go and buy my dollar cheeseburger now. That can rob you of your joy. That can mutilate you. Maybe it's the people that you spend time around. Maybe it's a situation that is going on that no one else knows about. Maybe it's a sickness. Beware of those things that are going to creep in and to try to destroy your joy. When I read that verse, I think of Job. Man, you talk about someone that had every opportunity for his joy to be destroyed. It was Job. And yet he was able to say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So joy will be attacked from the outside by destructive joys. But then notice this, joy will be attacked by fleshly joys. And this is where he begins to transition over into our next thought. Before we go on to that, let me explain this. Look at verse number three. He says, for we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. He said, just at the moment where you begin to trust yourself and what you're doing more, remember that that's not where your confidence lies. That's not where you're going to find your joy. Your joy is going to be found in Christ and in Christ alone. So don't look for it within yourself. Don't look for it from somewhere outside Simply focus on Christ. And he says, don't let your flesh, don't let confidence in yourself be what brings you joy. Because guess what? Eventually, you'll fail yourself. But Christ will never fail you, which leads us to this second thought. 
that not only will joy be attacked from the outside, but he shows us how joy will be attacked from the inside. As he begins to talk about the flesh in verse number 4, he really gives us a glimpse into his past. And the first thing that we see here in verse number 4 is that joy will be attacked by depending upon yourself, by depending on self. In verse number 4 he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. He says, if anybody else thinks they've got me beat on this whole confidence in themselves things, they don't. And if anybody can depend on their flesh, it's me. But guess what? I don't do it. And sometimes here's what I think that we do. We get in a tough time. We get in a difficult situation. And it's, oh, God, I need you. God, I can't do this on my own. God, there's no way I can figure it out. God, please help me. And God does. And we get to the other side of it, and we say, thanks, God. I've got it from here. And we go day to day confident in ourself And sometimes, here's what I've even found and maybe diagnosed in my own life and in the life of others, sometimes we even have a way of manipulating God's help to still make it about us. Well, God got me through that, but there's no way He could have gotten me through it without my help. We would never articulate that, but that's kind of the way we come off sometimes, isn't it? that, well, I helped God get me out of that situation. If it wasn't for my strong prayers, if it wasn't for my faithful walk with God, there's no... No. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't have got out of it. Let's just be honest. And if you're not careful, you will fall into this constant trap of of basically depending upon yourself. Oh, I'm in a tough time. Let's depend on God. Okay, I'm out of it. Let's depend on me. Oh, I'm in it. This is. I can't figure this one out. Don't know how I'm supposed to handle this girl thing, this guy thing. Kind of awkward. Kind of don't know where. I, so God really could use your help on this one. Okay. Thank you for helping me with that breakup speech. We're good. Now I'm going to go on and I'm going to date without you. Do you see how we can just just as easily as we need God's help, we can turn around and we can reverse it and not need His help. And if you will look back, I promise you this, that if you will look back at the moments of your life to where you lacked joy, chances are, if you could go back and do that again, or if you could maybe drill down into that moment, it would be because you were depending upon yourself more than depending upon God. Some of your greatest moments of anxiety, some of your greatest moments of stress, some of your greatest moments where you lack joy, typically, not typically, I'm going to say probably 100% of the time, are because you've placed the pressure upon yourself more than you've placed the pressure upon God. So stop depending upon yourself. Joy will be attacked by depending on self. Secondly, joy will be attacked by looking at position. Joy will be attacked by looking at position. Look at verse number five. 
He goes through this list of things that basically some of them was what he was born into. Some of it was just how he came about. Some of it was the stuff that he got into. But he says this, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, Pharisee. I want to take just a moment and talk a little bit about identity because it's a big deal right now in culture, and I want to give you a biblical context for it, okay? When we base our decisions off of our identity outside of Christ, okay, off of who we are, off of how we were created, then that is a problem, okay? That can skew your view of the world. So let me give you a for instance that is a hot topic right now, give you a biblical perspective and illustration of it, but then let me maybe come, full, come around full circle and apply it to us, okay? Homosexuality right now basically says, that, or that crowd says that because of who I am, because of the way that I feel, then I should get to make a decision based off of that, Okay? Even whether the morals line up with it, whether the data lines up with it, whether science lines up with it, I get to base a decision off of simply my identity. And so because of that, there's a clash, right? Culture is divided on that. There, it is a hot topic, okay? And basically what they're saying is because of my identity, it doesn't matter about anything else, I get to choose this. And as Christians and as maybe people who believe the Bible, you go, you read Romans chapter number one, you can see the downfall of homosexuality, especially of, the, of a civilization that displays homosexuality, okay? Romans one. When you take that, we would all look at that and we would say, yeah, well, Bible already kind of explained that. Now watch this. So we would look at that and we would say, yeah, they're basing their decisions off of their identity. Now let's come full circle over here to us as Christians. What identities do you develop to base your decisions on? Well, I am, uh, I'm, I'm heterosexual. The homosexuality, that's wrong, okay? So, I, biblically speaking, I've got Romans chapter 1 that I can lean on. I've got history. I've got some science. I've got some data. I can point to that God's way is better. So, I'm, I'm heterosexual, okay? That's an identity. Now, watch this. If you use your heterosexuality as an identity to commit sin or to make decisions that are against God's word, for instance, pornography, for instance, immorality outside of marriage, then let me show you something. You literally just did the same thing that you would maybe condemn someone else for. And if you're not careful, you can say, well, because they're choosing something out of their identity, that's wrong. But I get to choose something out of my identity, and it's okay because I'm a Christian. Wrong. Sin is sin. And if you're not careful, you will use who you are to make decisions about what you do. And the only identity that you should base your decisions on is your identity in Christ. Paul said, I had every reason to not follow Christ. 
I was, I was born a Hebrew. I was someone who was so good at living out the law that I actually became a Pharisee. I didn't need Christ. But watch this. He didn't let his identity come in the way of doing what God wanted him to do. And ultimately, that is the job of every Christian, is to put away who you were, what you used to believe, what you used to think, and say, okay, I am in Christ. I am a part of Christ. It doesn't even matter if I got saved at the age of four. You still have an identity that is outside of Christ, and you can act on it. But if you're not careful, you will base every decision off of, well, this is what I want to do one day with my job. So I'm going to make a life-altering decision to get out of church because I've got a good job. I'm going to, this is where I want to be one day with this girl or with this guy, so I'm willing to compromise a couple of my morals to make sure that I can stick it out with them. You just chose the wrong identity. Well, I, I want to be at this financial status by the time I'm out of my 20s. I want to be at this financial status by the time I'm outside my 30s. So I'm going to maybe not be as generous as what I should be. You just based it on of, off of the wrong identity. And most of the bad decisions that we make in this life are because we considered who we are or who we want to be more than who we are in God and who God wants us to be. And Paul says, that's not what I did. He said, my joy was attacked because guess what? I could have easily met God on the road to Damascus, been confronted with Jesus Christ, been confronted with the gospel. And what does Jesus say when he, when he comes before Paul on the road to Damascus? He says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why, what's he talk about? Kickest thou against the pricks, doesn't he? Most people believe that Paul, at some point in his life, before he was Paul, as Saul, received some pricks, some prodding to come to Jesus Christ. But he was kicking against them. And Saul could have stood up from that Damascus road, wiped the scales off of his eyes, and said, I would rather go on blind and do my own thing and stick with where I'm at in my identity than follow Jesus Christ. But he didn't. He gave that up so that he could now find joy. So joy will be attacked by looking at position, but then lastly, joy will be attacked by recognizing the good. I want to be careful how I word this, so you might want to take some notes under this, because if you just go back three years from now and look at that point, joy will be attacked by recognizing the good. How in the world could that be attacked? Okay, so take notes now, because I'm about to explain it to you. Look at verse number six. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul actually says in verse number six, and I want you to listen to this. He basically is saying that if I could earn my salvation, I did it. If it was about my own righteousness, I got it. I was so zealous that I was right, that I was willing to kill others who I thought was wrong. 
Chances are, it doesn't matter where you really fall on the right or wrong scale, none of us in here have killed someone over it, okay? I hope so. Don't tell me after class if you have, okay? He says, I was blameless. I was right. I was righteous if that's what it took. And if you're not careful, here's the way we will clean that up as Christians. Well, God, look what I do here. Look, what, look, look at where I serve on Sundays. Look at, look at how many times I've served in the nursery in the last year. Look at what I do for my job. Look at this. Look at how I, how I treat this person. Look at... And you're telling me I can't have joy, and it's because you're looking for joy in what you're doing rather than who you are. You're looking for joy in doing something good rather than being good and being close to Jesus Christ, which leads us to our last thought. And I want to spend the rest of our time on this, and we'll, we'll try to fly through it, but I want to cover it and do it justice. Number three, he shows us how joy is attained in Christ. How joy is attained in Christ. He uses a lot of interesting words. One of the things that I do when I study these passages is I take the verses and I print them out and I try to go through them and I try to circle words and attach them and try to find everything. He actually repeats himself a couple times. He, but he's doing that to almost make a point. Like these verses go together, these thoughts go together. And so I want us to look at these verses. I want to read them again, just so you have a point of reference. So he's shown us how joy is attacked from the outside. He's shown us how joy is attacked from the inside. But now he's about to show us through his own personal testimony how joy is attained in Christ. Verse number 7. He says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ." Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which he's already said that he had, okay? Refer back to verse number 6, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So what does he say in these verses? First of all, joy will be attained in Christ when you lose to Christ. When you lose to Christ. Sports have come back into... Uh, our culture in a very weird way. Um, I actually haven't watched any, um, surprisingly, because it all just kind of seems like it's dramatic right now. Um, and I love sports, but here's what I know from playing sports and from kind of coaching sports and, and being around them for most of my life, is that a win in the win column 
normally means that you had a loss at some point in the game. Now let me explain that, okay? A win in the win column normally means that at some point you had a loss in the game, but that you prioritized what mattered more. When I was a coach, I coached the basketball team here. Don't go back and look at my record because it wasn't very good, okay? Um, but when I was a coach, one of the things that I would do, and I kind of developed this from uh, the coaches that I grew up under, but when I coached basketball, one of the things that I would do is I would watch game tape and I would maybe look at the last time we had played a team and I typically came into a locker room and tried to lay out anywhere from three to a maximum of five goals for us that game. And the point of it was so that we could say, all right, this is what we want to focus on, this is what we want to win, and I would typically attach a number to this. So, for instance, kind of my theory as a varsity basketball coach was I told our guys a lot, if we can score 60 points, I think we win this game. Now, there were games to where I actually remember one, one of the very first games where we broke 60, we lost 62 to 61, and that was a very discouraging moment, all right? But I would say if we score 60, I think we've got a good shot at this. I would, if there was a team that was taller that maybe just killed us in the paint, the, they, they got a lot of offensive rebounds and put them back, then I would say, all right, I think our goal is that we need to have 30 rebounds this game. Sometimes if we were turning the ball over like crazy, which was, seemed to be most of the time, okay, I would say we want, to, we want to be under 15 turnovers for the total of the game, which sounds like a lot, but when you take five players and you put them on the court, that means everybody gets three, okay? And normally most guys had ran out of their three like within the first two minutes. It's like, okay, you're done, no more. Like, and chances are, if we could do that, in fact, I cannot remember a game to where we did all three or all five and didn't win. Now, there were some games to where we would maybe only get one out of three and we would lose. There'd be some games that I'm sure we probably got two out of three and we lost, but chances are if we got all three or all four or all five, we won. Guess what? A win in the win column meant that we had to lose at some things, which meant that if we got 30 rebounds in a game, but we maybe shot 20% from the three-point line and the other team shot 30%, didn't matter, because out of the 70% that we missed, we got the rebound. We didn't give them a second-chance shot. meant that we were getting two possessions to their one. And in life, if you want to have a check or a win in the win column, it will mean you need to lose at some things. And in your Christian life, if you want a win with God one day when you stand before him, it means that you're going to have to lose some things. And unfortunately, we have developed a Christianity to where we want Christ and we want God and all of the blessings and benefits that come with him without loss. And before I studied for tonight's study and, and read this passage, I actually was in Mark chapter number 8 in my own Bible reading. Mark chapter number 8, if you get to the end of the chapter, it's Jesus speaking to the disciples. And he says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And he says that you have to take up your cross, deny yourself, 
and follow me. Let me just say that if you are searching for joy, it could very well be found in maybe just letting some stuff go. Giving it over to God. He says, the things that were gained to me, I counted them as loss. Why? That I may win Christ. Let me, let me give you one more illustration with this, okay? When I was a senior, um, it's a sports illustration because we're talking about winning and losing, and that can only happen in sports, okay? So, um, but when I was a senior, we had not won a state basketball championship in a long time as a school. We started out the season, it was probably the best team that I had ever played on. We started out the season 0 and 9, okay? So probably not like the run you want to go on. 0, for those of you who maybe don't follow sports, means that we have zero wins, nine losses, okay? So not like wasn't shaping up too good, like, well, this is our championship year, okay? That's not where this was headed. Then for whatever reason, at the end of the year, we kind of caught fire, and I think we ended up winning 13 games in a row, or 13 games over the course of like a couple games, and we ended up winning the state championship with a record of 13 and 15. So we still had more, more losses than we had wins, okay? But we won a state championship. We won at the right times, okay? If we would have went undefeated that year and lost in the championship, guess what? Probably wouldn't be telling this illustration right now, okay? But we lost some things and won what mattered, what counted, what puts a trophy in the trophy case. And in your Christian life, I want you to listen to this, you can win at a lot of different things. In fact, it almost seems like that this world and this thing that we call humanity is in a constant competition. Well, I've got to win by having the nicer car. I've got to win by winning the breakup, okay? I want to win the breakup because if we break up and she said I was ugly, well, then I'm about to get way good, better, good, better looking, okay? So that when she sees me five years, I'm jacked. Every guy starts working out after a girl breaks up with them. Just mark it down, girls, okay? So the best way to do it is break up with them for six months and then say, hey, I want you back. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> you, can win a, you can set a high score on a video game. You can win at a lot of stuff. But if you're not winning with Christ, does it even matter? If you're not winning by glorifying God, why does it even count? And so he says, joy will be accomplished when you lose to Christ, but then no, or be attained when you lose to Christ. But then secondly, joy will be attained in Christ when you stop counting on yourself. We've already talked a lot about that. You can cross-reference verse number 9 with verse number 6. But he says, I found my righteousness in Jesus Christ. I put my faith in Christ. I stopped counting on my own good works. I stopped counting on myself and started counting on Christ. But then thirdly, joy will be attained in Christ when you know and identify with Christ. Look at verse number 10. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, 
if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. When you begin to say, God, I want to know you and I want to have fellowship with you. I want to spend time with you. I want to be close to you. Then here's what you just said. I am beginning to find joy in Christ and nothing else. Paul says something interesting in this verse. He says that I may know him, which we often use as a verse to describe our relationship with God. But then he says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. He says, not only do I want to know Christ, I want to suffer with him. Which means that anything that I suffer for Christ is worth it. Any persecution or trial that is for God's glory is worth it. Because I'm being a part of the suffering that he endured as well. So he says to know and identify with Christ. But then he says, fourthly, that joy will be attained in Christ when you recognize where you are. Look at verse number 12. He says, not as though I had already attained. That word attained means to arrive or to come, come into being. He says, not as though I had already attained. He says, I'm not there yet. Either we're already perfect. I'm not perfect. Skip down to verse number 13. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He says, I'm not there yet. And sometimes joy is found in just saying, I'm not there yet. In fact, many times joy is found in recognizing that you're not there. Because what I've found is when we think we're there, that normally is a good chance for us to stop. When we think we've arrived, we quit. When we see the finish line, we slow up. And Paul says, I'm not there. And guess what? If Paul says he's not there, then I doubt very many of us are there. So recognize where you are. And then uh, number five, joy will be accomplished when you forget where you were. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, this one thing that I do. Think about the Apostle Paul's life. Think about the number of things that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write. And yet through all of it, he says this one thing that I do. If the Apostle Paul has one thing that he can point to in his life, we probably should perk up and pay attention. He says, this one thing that I do, what is it? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, which leads us to this last thought, that joy will be accomplished when you seek Christ above all else. When you seek Christ above above all else. I want to look I want you to look at some words for just a second and then we'll close. Look at the end of verse number 12. I don't know that I've ever seen this today, but once again I was circling these words and they just all kind of came together. He says this. He says, "But I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus." The word apprehend means to lay hold of. It also means to comprehend. And here's what he's saying. He says that I want to catch what has caught me. If you look back at the testimony of the Apostle Paul, we've already referred to it at the beginning of the lesson, he was confronted with the gospel. Okay? 
He was on the road to Damascus. Jesus Christ showed himself through a bright light and actually confronted him with the gospel. Would have been a pretty bold move for him to walk away from that. And thankfully, he didn't. But he says in this book of Philippians, he says, I want to be apprehended. I want to catch. I want to comprehend that which caught me. And then in verse 13, he says, I'm not there yet. But here's what I'm doing to do that. I'm forgetting my past. Forgetting what was behind me. And I'm looking forward to what God has in front of me. And then in verse 14, the verse that we introduced and said that context, context matters, he says, I press toward the mark. And here's what this comes down to. You can spend your life down here chasing perfection and joy and a target in society that is constantly moving. You can chase joy from someone else. Well, if I do this, then maybe they'll be happy with me. If I do this, then maybe they'll like me better. You can chase joy in your finances, in your job security, in your relationships, in your emotions, and in so many different areas, in your possessions. And guess what? It won't bring you the joy that Christ can bring you. It won't, it won't make you want to wake up in the morning and say, forgetting what's in my past. And today, I'm simply waking up to get closer to God. Today, my goal is that I'm going to press toward that mark. Don't care about what happened yesterday. I'm forgetting that. Good day, bad day, I'm forgetting that. I'm pressing toward the mark, which is Jesus Christ. And here's what I want you to grasp out of this book more than anything else. Is that this generation, you as young adults, are under so much pressure. And I get that. And to be honest with you, sometimes it just feels like, like you don't get it. That's where I'm at. Okay? Sometimes it just feels like, I, I just don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, I... I I check Instagram and everybody has a new car or a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend. And I come to church and Joel says, don't worry about a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend or a new car, but I want one, okay? And it can get confusing because it's six days watching everyone else or everything else or, or living this life to where, yeah, it's stressful and sometimes I get bored and sometimes I feel lonely and sometimes I feel anxious and sometimes I'm tired and sometimes I'm happy and sometimes, and you live in this like rat race. You live in this hamster wheel and then you come here and it's like, I'm telling you the exact opposite. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I probably should do that. And then guess what? You'll wake up tomorrow and it's like, oh stink, I'm 15 minutes late for work. I got to get out of it. And then I got to go drive my junkie car that doesn't have air conditioning. And then my phone doesn't have GPS, my phone GPS isn't working. It's not connecting the satellite because it was made before satellites. And you live through all of this stuff to where it's like, I don't get it. Where does it stop? And what Paul is saying is, find joy in Jesus Christ. Wake up every single morning and pursue Him. Seek Him. 
Find him. Search for him. And guess what? If that means that you lose the car competition, that's okay. If that means that you lose the breakup but you found Christ, that's a win. If that means that you lose the financial battle and you're working at McDonald's for retirement until you're 90, okay? That's okay because you won Christ. And sometimes we get tricked into believing the lies that we have to win at what matters down here rather than win at what matters to God and to Jesus Christ. And so this week, here's my challenge to you. Wake up tomorrow morning, and rather than praying the prayer of, Lord, help me through my day, pray that too. Rather than praying the prayer of, Lord, help these requests, pray that too. But pray this prayer, Lord, help me to seek you above anything else. Lord, help me to seek you above anything else. When my coworkers start to talk about something that I know doesn't please and honor you, Lord, help me to seek you rather than man's approval. When I'm tempted to worry about my financial situation, Lord, help me to seek you. When I'm tempted to stress or fret about a situation, Lord, you're in control. Help me to seek you above anything else. Let's pray and we'll be done. Dear Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.